Hey, everybody, it's Carrie Champion, and this is The Ground Print, a podcast that offers solutions and guidance for the marginalized and those who feel left out. These discussions will act as a guide to mentor those in need of direction and also to inspire those who feel hopeless. We will move the needle forward and speak out on the issues by way of dialogue and telling stories of those who need to be heard. When you see Uncle Clifford, who does identify with the she and her pronouns, being non-binary and gender fluid, it opens up the space for conversation for us to just know more about each other. Nico Anand is an acclaimed actor, dancer, and choreographer, best known for his portrayal of Uncle Clifford on the Star's drama series, P-Valley. He's a strong advocate for the LGBTQIA community and is a part of a conversation happening right now about gender in Hollywood. We had an eye-opening conversation about gender, the roles that he looks for, and not just in Hollywood, but as a Black man in a community that sometimes just doesn't understand him. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this version of The Brown Print and Nico Anon. Nico, thank you so much for coming on. I have to start off by by giving some 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 context for our viewers. Okay. So tell me tell me a little bit about your your background. What is your background, and where did you grow up? My ethnic background. I'm a black boy. You know what I'm saying? Well, black man. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but um, I'm originally from Detroit. I'm a Motor City baby. You know, my dad is from Ghana and my mom was born in the South, you know, part of the migration came on up to the Midwest. Um, That was root there. And from Detroit, just growing up, um, I left, uh, I went to Cass Tech. You know, that's a popular high school in Detroit. Most folks know, you know, Carrie, like, I don't know what that is. So, okay, Mm-mm. whatever. <laughs> Come on, CT5 up. You got some Detroit lovers out there. All I know is about Mumford because my, my really good friend went to Mumford. Okay. I had some friends that went to Mumford as well. Uh-huh. So I, You're like, Mumford doesn't matter. No, no, Go no, no, ahead. no. That's, that's not true. Actually, I was like, let me not say nothing else because I don't want to get no beef started, you know, over these airwaves and things like that. We want to keep it all nice and, and copacetic. <laughs> with everybody uh-huh. you know okay. what I mean <laughs> okay 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 so um I left Detroit um when I was like 17 right after high school and went to uh purchase in New York City that's where I studied uh, at the conservatory of acting there and uh, I just continued my love of dance because I was dancing when I was a when I was a kid because in my mind I was going to be uh Gene Anthony Ray you know Leroy from fame Mm-hmm. And so, like, that was... Wow, that, was that is a blast from the past. Where is Leroy from fame? Is he still around? No. He, As in, he is he alive? Over. He passed away? He, he has crossed oh, over. Oh, I he, thought so. Yeah. I thought so. Okay. Yeah. Wow. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. But you remember, remember. Oh, <laughs> yeah. listen. You Look, remember that name. It works. It works hard. You, you, you it starts here. I don't know. Give me a, a, it's fame if it's, that's what you want. Okay, this has nothing to do with the podcast, but guys, there you go. Um, so the reason why I asked this, Nico, is because this podcast um really talks a bit about trajectory and where people have come from, mm-hmm. and where they are, and where they see themselves and their contribution. Um, and so often. I feel like the marginalized, and that would be you, that would be me, it could be in any form or fashion, the marginalized are overlooked. And someone has to say, you know what, we're here and we're doing something different. Mm -hmm. 
and we're winning and we are intentionally being disruptive so people can pay attention to us. You are on a show that is very popular, so popular that I can give you so many culturally, cult classic, culturally, so many conversations have been had about P-Valley. But before it was a show, it was on Broadway. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was a play. It was a play. It didn't make it to Broadway. It didn't make it to Broadway. It didn't make it to Broadway. But it was a play. But it was a play. Mm -hmm. And you were in the play, correct? You And so you were revived your actual character of Uncle Clifford to be on P-Valley. Now, I want to talk about, I was told that everything really started with you. like In terms of you were the heartbeat of that play. How do you, how would you describe this opportunity that came to you before the television series came to you? I would describe it definitely as a, a divine intervention. Uh, and I would actually add to the fact that I don't think it necessarily started with me. You know, I wouldn't be the one to say that. I would be the one to say that it started with, when you talk about the marginalized community, you know, uh, mm. the, the, it started literally just with the culture. And Katori um, mm. Hall is the creator of P-Valley and of the play Pussy Valley. That's what it was called, you know, back then. Uh, and she's from Memphis. And down in Memphis, uh, there is a, a town, there was a housing development that was called Pussy Valley. And mm. that, that housing development had that name because they were, it was known for having a lot of Black women um, that were single mothers. Um, that's where brothers would know to go, like, not for prostitution, but just that there was some sketchy stuff that could go down in the valley, clearly, right? Um, and so Katori just was intrigued uh, by the power that these women have to pull themselves up. She always says, sometimes life is like flying around on the pole. It feels like you rising feels like falling and falling feels like rising sometimes, um, and I think that just that dichotomy that the women have, uh, the culture that she was seeing in the, in the, in, in the strip clubs, that was, uh, it was, uh, the catapult that made her write these stories. And she researched for about six years. What is rising feels like falling and falling feels like rising? Well, how does that, how does that hit your spirit? What does that mean to you? Sometimes when you come sliding down a pole, you know, you, or going on a roller coaster, let me just, let me equate it something with that maybe more people have done. Okay. <laughs> when you ride the roller coaster, you know, when you're going up, you know, it's like, oh my God, is this ever going to end? Like, oh, this is taking so long. This is taking so long. And then you get to the top and the sound stops. And there's this like hush. And you're like, I'm here. I'm doing it. And then you go down on the deep and it's like going fast, fast, fast. And you're on this exhilarating ride. Right. So I think that sometimes that can be how life is. When is it going to be my turn? When are you going to hear me? When are you going to see me? And then all of a sudden, boom, you're in this space. If you are careful and if you are conscious and paying attention, you're present. And then you ride it and you like getting your grooves. You're doing one podcast, two podcasts, three podcasts, four. <laughs> 20, 30, 50. Come on. It's called yeah. an empire. She has an empire Yeah. Now. I'm building. I'm building. I Say think that. it's interesting because... We have, depending on where you live or how you grew up or even what part of the world you live in, there are so, so much shame associated with being a dancer uh, or being an exotic dancer, being a stripper, being whatever. They, people will be like, mm. but this, what you have been able to do, and this is when I'll go back to the play, there's so much empowerment. It's, mm -hmm. it's 
It's powerful. Why is that? Because we are. I think embracing who you are without um, condition is power. You know, you don't actually have to take something from someone unless you gave it away. You, you know, um, I think knowing who yourself is. And when I think about the character of Uncle Clifford, I think about how complex the character is. But even just the world of the strip club itself, you know, all of the characters like in the show, it, it, people think, oh, it's a show about strippers. But it's really not. It's a show about, a show mm. about these people. It's really, and, and who comes through these doors? When you look at the bouncer, Diamond, you're looking at a brother who has gone through some things um, that has some emotional or, uh, uh, let's say, intimacy issues, but also has come from the war. You got a brother like Big L that's up in the club as well, who is coming from the pipeline of the prison system. And what is that like? And how does he acclimate himself being a dad? You got uh, a mom, you know, that's in an interracial relationship. It's an abusive relationship. You know, what is the colorism that's going on with her? Like, we are complex. We are complex. Mm. So just because you work at a bank don't mean that you're any better than someone that works at the club. Or the doctor's office, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah. alcoholics are, are, are our doctors too. There you go, as you sip tea, I'm just saying. Everyone has an issue, everyone has a cross to bear. You know, your, your job does not uh, make you immune to that. You mentioned the Great Migration. Uh, your mom came to Detroit in that, from the Great Migration. I've been hearing a lot about that lately. It is very, it's, I don't know if it's trendy, I don't know if it's the theme in which a lot of shows are being um, made on. I just think of that so often. I hear it so often. Mm -hmm. And you mention labels or nothing because you haven't, you've taken it back. You, you have empowered yourself. You're openly gay. Talk to me about growing up. Did you know you were, you were gay when you were a kid right away? And were you openly gay or did you have to arrive to a point where you talked about it and were free? Um, I've known I was gay as long as I knew my name. Um, mm. And it was not something that I had to quote unquote, speak about. I wasn't, you know, um, I think for me personally, I had other ideas. I had something else going on in my mind. I was thinking more so about surviving beyond Detroit. I was thinking, you, do you understand what I mean? And I'm not saying I grew up in the slums and I fought and I did that, but I know, I know hard times. I know real times. Um, and those were the times that kind of colored me. So I just thought more about life more so than about sexuality that, you know, um, I knew I was a child of God. I, I knew that I was loved. I knew that that was complex, but it wasn't any more complex than I thought being dark skinned was or being mm. of, of a full size kid, you know, and, you know, getting teased, like you said, for dancing. I wasn't stripping when I was a kid. I was just taking tact classes. I was just taking, you know, modern dance classes, African dance classes. But it was like, yo, look at that big boy. Oh, that big boy shouldn't be dancing. You know, it was all these things. Back in the days, you know, I was, they, it's a joke, but it's the truth. Jeans weren't jeans. You couldn't get you some Jordache jeans. You had to get you some Husky jeans. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, so like everybody has something, whether you was light skinned, whether you was dark skinned, whether you was tall, fat, thin, whether you was dancer, gay, straight, bi, curious, whatever. 
everybody has something. I know folks that have stuff because they was a Jehovah Witness. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, you choose you choose your battles. You choose your battles, but you also define yourself. You define yourself, and I feel like life is about that journey. You know. You talk about that with so so much elegance and ease, but it it's not easy. Everyone, it's not easy. I I already know because I'm speaking just from no matter, and I'm not talking about the financial aspect of it, growing up hard, having hard times, but your journey to be where you are today had some ups and downs. I for, I forget my the my pole reference. You know when you're going up, it feels like you're falling down. When you're falling down, you're mm-hmm. going up. So when you when you are a kid in Detroit. Uh, and you're coming into your own and you know that you are getting out of Detroit. You know that there's more past Detroit and you know that you have something special. What age were you when you knew that you had something special and there was something more? The first the first thing that just came to my mind was when I was about like seven, seven or eight, um, because my dad had gone to get some barbecue one night and uh, brought it home. And I had my little, uh, what you call it, potato salad and my baked beans. And I, you know, was just eating on the porch with my mom and my dad. And my mom said, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I'm going to see my name in lights. I didn't know what that meant, to be honest with you. You know, I just knew like, I liked performing. I just knew that there was something. So it wasn't for me, Detroit wasn't like, I got to get out of here. Like, you know, I can't breathe. It was more so for me, I had done little pockets of things. I was a kid that I guess to keep me off of the streets, the arts kind of saved me, you know what I mean? Going to like my mom's friend's dance school on Six Mile, you know, after school on sun- on Saturdays and going to Northland roller skating rink on Sundays two times, like doing activities kind of kept me off the streets and away from the drugs and, you know, all of the the melee that, you know, streets can, ha- can hold. So it was, um, it was, I get art. Art was my way out. And I don't know if I, I mean, yeah, it may sound elegant or whatever, but it definitely, I don't remember it being an elegant process. It definitely, (laughs) I got my ass beat, girl. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Elegant in the sense of you can describe what it was so beautifully uh, now, but then maybe not as elegant because maybe you didn't know what it was, but you knew what you wanted to be as you were eating your baked beans mm-hmm. uh, and your, your potato salad, mm-hmm. which sounds amazing right now because I'm starving, but Me I digress. Um, <laughs> you, according, this is the funny story that I wanted because now I'm going to transition. You knew you wanted to be in lights. You knew that there was more, mm-hmm. whatever that looked like. Art was art was. Not necessarily your saving grace, but art was your way out. And it, it clearly was encouraged by your your peers, your family, because it takes, you know, money or time to say, all right, let's go to dance school or take a class or, yeah, you do that. Like, you have to have someone say, yes, I believe. Who were your yeses growing up? Who were the people that encouraged you that knew that you had a talent? My cousins. You know, my parents, for sure. Um, my dad always knew that I was, I guess gifted, but he really encouraged my intellect and was like, no, you got to study computers. Computers are the future. You are good in math. You got to get into accounting. You have to do all those things. And I appreciate it to my, to this day, because I got a strong work, work ethic from my dad, you know, um, but my mom was the, I had the kind of mom, she did nails after work. When she came home from Blue Cross and Blue Shield, she was doing nails in the kitchen, 
you know, uh, to, and that was my spending money. That was my dance school money, you know. So I understood sacrifice. And when I say my cousins, I, I had the kind of cousins that were like, go ahead, boy, go ahead, do that. Te- Let me see that time step you learned up in class, you know. So it was kind of encouraged <laughs> in that kind of way. And it was the whole range of cousins from the cousins that was in corporate America to the cousins that were blue collar to the cousins that were international, you know, and it just was a thing. I also definitely believe getting out when I say getting out, like I went to Ghana for the first time when I was 10. Mm. So I think honestly, you, you asking this question, I'm talking traveling and seeing other people that literally looked like me, even with the gap, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Even the dark skin, even the thick thighs, the the build, and and not feeling any shame or not seeing them shamed, but still hearing Aaliyah playing in the streets of Accra and hearing Biggie, as well as uh, Fela Kuti, I was like, this That's ain't beautiful. no different. Yeah, I was like, this ain't no different. Why we can't sit mm-hmm. on the stoop? They sitting on the stoop over here. Why? Mm-hmm. There's something else going mm-hmm. on. I don't know what that is, but I like the music. You know what I mean? I, there was a naivete that I had that kind of protected me from mm-hmm. a lot of the BS out here. So I never, I I was aware of that people wanted me to subscribe to something, but that was never in my heart. And then that part I think came from church and and building my relationship with God from my grandmama. Amen. What yeah. a wonderful village. It sounds like a beautiful village, literally and figuratively, yeah. right? Yeah. I went to Ghana as an adult and it was it was life changing. How long and were you there? I hate that. I was there for like three weeks. It changed uh-huh. my life. It was the best experience I've ever have and I have ever had. That was recently, that was in 2018. I think um and I don't want to get too far off because I I, I want to circle back to that. But now, as you have all this beauty and all this insight and all this encouragement to be who you are, and obviously, as we mentioned before, tough times too, you know your name is going to be in lights. When did the acting bug hit you? Because you was dancing already. You know how we do. Black folks stay dancing. Like I remember my mama, come in here and show me that new dance. And we'd be in the living room mm-hmm. where they eating uh, it. Friday fish fry, Friday and fish we be, fry. you know, That's right. with a little spaghetti. And, uh, Did you have some spaghetti with it? You, it's look, and do, is spaghetti a side dish, or should we not get into that right now? Is it a side dish or is it a main dish? It's a I side. can go with both. You talk. I can go, to, I can okay, go with, yeah, okay, I go, I go with okay. side. I go with side. I okay. Go with side. <laughs> okay. <it is. laughs> That's how you feel. That's how you feel. But that's how I feel. It is a side. It is a side. But, but you can have it as a main. You can if it's a baked spaghetti. See, because I burn. So if it's okay. a baked spaghetti, yeah, you got me. You got me. <laughs> I tried. To, I slapped my computer down because I'm mad at you because you said it was no, baked, no, and no. I don't want to talk anymore. I no, it's over. This podcast is over. I'm done with you. Okay, I'm very upset. Like I want <laughs> You in relationships over this, guys? Over whether or not it's a baked. Okay, okay, baked spaghetti. On from baked spaghetti. Ooh, I love me some baked spaghetti. Um, okay, when did you know? that you wanted to be an actor? Because you knew your name were in lights, you were dancing, but when we're take, when are we when are we Leroy from fame? When did that all come about? Well we we're Leroy and Fame, I wanna say in my in my mind, in my world, in the in the uh what was it, eighth grade or whatever, when Batman came out with uh Kim what was her name? Bass singer? Thank you. Yes. 
Yes, uh-huh. that one, that version. Okay. Yeah, when that came out and, you know, there was a dance that my modern dance teacher, Sonia, Sonia something, I forget her last name, but she had choreographed this dance and I came on out giving you jazz hands and hit these passes and I was just center stage. That was my solo and then give you a hip whack and say, foom, foom, Vicky Vale. Yeah, you know, so like okay. that. <laughs> so that was in my mind when I had arrived. And that was not the truth. But I think uh, a real pivotal moment, honestly, for me, for real, was around junior year of high school. So I was in dance workshop uh, in my high school and we had I would do all city dance, you know, Michigan Youth Arts Festival and all that stuff. And I was also acting at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I saw two things happen. One, my dance teacher brought uh, a hearing impaired dance troupe to the to the school mm-hmm. for performance. I'm in Detroit. How often do you think you see a hearing impaired dance troupe, you know, a modern dance troupe come? Not often. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so seeing them, I was really marveled because they were not only good, I felt them, but I was like, how are they all in beat? And they can't hear. It was through the subwoofers, through the vibration on the floor. And that is a part of how they felt each other. So not only just their energy, but the physical feeling that just awakened, that just awakened like spidey tenses, uh, senses for me. And then um, I was going, I went to an audition for uh, Ailey 2. Ailey 2 uh, is uh, the sub company of, or uh, the junior company of Alvin Ailey. And mm-hmm. it was a, a regional audition. I wasn't in New York City, so it wasn't like major, major, but I went and one of the teachers or the instructors were like, you know, you have some technique, but you really need to work on your body. You know, you need to condition your body. Again, remember, I was a plus size kid. So I went on this spree trying to, on the slim fast situation, trying to get my body to conform to what other people said a concert dancer's body is supposed to be. And it just didn't work. And I was like, I'm doing everything they say you should be doing, but it's not working. <laughs> and I said, Nico, are you going to act or are you going to dance? And I thought, well, dance will always be a part of my life because it's been around since I was a kid. You know, my daddy from Africa, I, I love a drum. You know, it's in my soul. Let me learn how to tell story. Let me learn how to truly craft story. And in that moment, that's when I decided that I wanted to go to school for acting versus going to pursue what I thought was going to be a concert dance career. All of that to then say I'm going, I'm studying acting, and then my itch for choreography and dance still is in the ether. And then choreography gigs keep coming to me that go beyond just coming up with a number in the garage for your cousin's talent show. Then working on, you know, so-and-so that's working on, you know, that sign. She got her record label, you know, first little contract. Go do her her performance at Shane Park, you know, for the Summer Jam series. And then that led to more and more and then doing plays, choreographing and all of this stuff. So it was just a wheel. So I felt like I wasn't supposed to get small because I was supposed to be more. I was supposed to be bigger. (laughs) Real talk. Listen, everybody got a different size cup, Carrie. Everybody's cup is not the same. So you, you have to use your portion and do what you got. Now, you may have a concentrated thimble, and I, and I have a diluted, you know, mixing bowl portion. But, you know, they may equal out. 
I, I do write notes. You just, you gave me, okay. All right. Good for me. All Come right. On. I wasn't supposed to be small because I was supposed to be bigger. That's correct. Oh, you talking. Listen. You are correct. You talking, you preaching to me. <laughs> okay. So as an actor, we know how difficult it is. I live here in LA. I don't know. Are you in New York or LA? Right? I'm in LA now. I'm in LA now. Okay. And you know how tough it is. Mm-hmm. It is not easy. You, you are more familiar with no's than you are yes. And it just takes a certain resilience to continue on. When you get your big break, what is it? What does it look like? Uh, what do we call the big break? Like, do we call do we call P Valley the big break, or do we call like being able to sustain yourself doing your job the big break? That's what I call the big break. But what what I, I, I don't know what too. you call. That's, that's what, what I, call I call the big, the big break. When, too. when I'm not when I no longer live check to check, I was like, oh, well, hello, I made it. I got mm-hmm. money in the bank. I'm good. Now yeah. it's not. It didn't have to be a lot, but it, it's a lifestyle that says I am being paid for what I love to do, and I no longer have to hustle for a side gig. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm also tell you that changes because when I was living in New York, so I left Detroit, lived in New York all those years. I got to a place in New York where I was in that space of, um, I guess I've made it, right? And mm-hmm. then I hit, I hit a moment, and I was like, I want more. Of I want. We I always said, want more. I want more, but it, for me, it was like I just wanted a different lifestyle, and I didn't want to enter my forties in the same space that I was in my thirties because it was a good space. Look, I was good. I had my little. In New York City, I had my own parking space. I had my central air, my two-bedroom apartment, like some central, you know, physical things. But I also was like, I don't want to be 60 years old still doing certain things that I'm doing now. Fair. You know? And so when I came out to Los Angeles in 2013, it literally was, you know, some people say the turning point or leap of faith because I did not have a job out here. I did not have any representation. I did not have a project that brought me here. I was like, okay, I bought me a one-way ticket on Virgin Mobile, uh, Virgin Air, whatever, and and came on out here. And here I am. Hustle, hard work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I love it. I'm inspired. I love, this is exactly what this podcast is about, inspiring. We go from the play Mm -hmm. to a TV series. I don't know why you had to audition for Uncle Clifford. You already know you had to do it, but tell me, that transition. You get P-Valley. You are known to the world. Not to the world, but you're known. It's mainstream. It's it's very, I, I equate it to when I got my job at ESPN. I had been doing it for 15 years. I had been a yeah. local news reporter forever. But then just, I now, I now am doing it on a national level, yeah. a national stage, if you will. You get P-Valley. You re-audition it for Uncle Clifford. You're bringing so much to it. And you get it, which you should have gotten it. I don't even know why you had to audition, but listen, I don't, I don't know nothing about. No I mean, acting. I have thoughts on Talk that. To- <laughs> I have thoughts on why I had to audition. Give me your, give me your thoughts. Well, well, on one, the first thought was, y'all gonna try to, y'all Hollywood, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we're gonna try in my mind to Hollywood it, you know, glamorize it and take away all that gutter. You can't have a city called Chuckalisa. Mississippi mm. and not have no grit and no gutter. You got to have the grit to go with the shine, you know? Um, and I also experienced something because from the first time I read the first scene uh, where Katori has some pages to the time we first, let's even say when we did the first production, the full production, that was about five years, 
that was a five year mm. span. Even in mm. that span, every time that a uh, a theater or producer they wanted to do the play, their version of Uncle Clifford was a light skinned, short, like five eight or under person. It was not six two. It was not chocolate. It was not thick. It was not me. Mm. It was not until I spoke. Um, And I think that people had an idea of what, quote unquote, gay looks like. I think that the conversations of what the complexities of Black gayness or Black identity, I think that those complexities, people were like, huh, what are you talking about? You know, so you have to sometimes you just got to show people. So I had no issue auditioning because I was like, just don't fuck this up because <laughs> th- this is too important. What does what does Hollywood does? What, what is a world that is not familiar with the gay community? What do they think black gay looks like? Oh, I think they're familiar with uh gay, the gay life, but it's traditionally a white, from a white gaze. Um, I think that when you, sometimes, to be honest, how I experience it, because I think it's so different for every person, right? But as a gay man myself, anybody that had issue with my gayness was either trying to sleep with me or did not know what was going on in the streets. We all like, they shooting out here. They shooting you if you straight, you a thug, you gay, you short, you you know, you ashy or you moisturized. They shooting. They trying to take us down. You know what I mean? Um, so my my world was not consistent. And I think on a, I would say on an average, most black and brown LGBTQ plus IA people, their lives are not motivated by their sexuality or their orientation primarily. What does that mean? You're going to see my skin before you see who I sleep with. Mm. You're going to see my size and, 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 and be intimidated or attracted or whatever by that before you say, oh, I wonder if. Do you understand what I'm saying? But when, uh, yeah, I think that my people, they can see all the obstacles. They can see all of the, the what do you call them? Stripes. I think that people can see what, you know, what you're carrying, what's on your heart, you know. I wonder, and I'm very, and just like most people who who don't speak eloquently or too much about nothing they don't know about, right? Mm-hmm. I am happy you are here to talk to me on The Brown Print because, and I don't, look, I don't claim to be an expert on the community. Like, I don't know. So that's why I ask. When I say why, it's because I legitimately don't know and I need an education. And I hate when people speak on things they know nothing about. Mm-hmm. It drives me insane. Mm-hmm. And I can watch the show and and say, he did an amazing job. And I don't think past just, you're amazing as Uncle Clifford. You you you, you say the club, you you do what needs to be done to make sure everybody's taken care of. Do you feel a responsibility, um, an obligation, a a need to speak on behalf of the gay community in this series, in this role in life now that you are known, now that you have a platform that that is nationally known? Mm -hmm. No. I feel the need to continue to speak for myself 
And I think in doing so, I will represent another branch of the community. I think that I will shine some light on some other other aspects. You know, I think people are familiar with drag queens. I think people Mm -hmm. are uh, getting more awareness when we talk about our trans brothers and sisters and even understanding Mm -hmm. that. I think that even with the character of Uncle Clifford, understanding the the area of, or the identity of being non-binary, right? I think that that is something that's different that people are like, huh, how are you, wait, why you got all this hair and you got this beard? Wait, what's going on? Why don't you just do one or the other? And it's like, well, I'm just doing me. The same reason why she got her mustache. Do you understand? (laughs) I'm just... Although I've been lasering my mustache and my beard and it refuses to go away, but go ahead. (laughs) I know I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm serious. Non-binary. I love that. I love it. I think that you are a part of groundbreaking television. I think there are other shows that are becoming that, that were posed. I can think of a bunch of shows and I know you don't even want to go back to the show. We look, take it back to fame if you will. Come on. But you... Um, are part of something, and when you're in, the, when you're a part of something, you don't really know how revolutionary it is. But you are a part of something that is revolutionary, and you just—and I hate to sound like those people who get so surprised that we we can speak well—but you just have such an elegant way of describing it that is thought provoking, and that forces whomever is listening to you—I mean, really listening to you and watching you act—to want to embrace and enjoy and thoroughly understand the character oh. and the man that is Nico. Thank you. Do you bring yourself to this? role are you are you and uncle clifford in any way similar (laughs) we are in some ways you know i think as an actor i bring myself to every role that i play um parts of it and the parts that are applicable um i think that uncle clifford and and nico kind of go together in a lot of spaces of one how they love you know i am a person that is a ride or die, you know what I mean? And once you, once you cross me, mm-hmm. like, it's done. But, like, if like if we in each other's good graces, I got you. I got you. You know what I'm saying? Grits is groceries. Here, here you go, two scoops. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, that's, that's how I roll. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know where that comes from. It just really is how I've always been. Um, Uncle Clifford is also uh, a dancer. Uh, that's a love uh, and how the whole strip club, the, 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 the shake joint as grandmother Loretta Devine would say, you know, because uh, in the story, it used to be a juke joint when she owned it. And now that it's been passed on to me, it's a, 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 stri- a strip club or a shake joint. And I think the love of dance and the fact that you can appreciate different people, um, different bodies and different style of dance, uh, having the love of um, without words, it's like when you go to another country and you don't speak the language, but you're seeing clogging and you're like, yo, that looked like tap dancing. Oh, yo, that looked like juking. That looked like jitting in Detroit. You know, in Memphis, it's juking. In Detroit, it's jitting. You know, it's different names, but a similar type of thing. So I think that that love of dance uh, is a way that we both can communicate. So, yeah, there are some similarities. Um, it's interesting that in my adult age, people are like, oh, you're such a masculine presenting man. And I'm like, Mm. I'm like, okay, 
Like, you know, <laughs> whereas when I was younger, it was like, oh my gosh, you're so effeminate. You know, you got to calm down. You know, you need to, you know, like simmer your fire, do, do all this thing. You know, I think the times, I think that a lot of that is a part of representation. Seeing different types of people, different types of LGBTQ people or characters even on screen, hearing the different stories that level of representation, it changes. I'm not no different than Brother brother Walker that's at your church. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And some for some people, that's not what, quote unquote, that's not a gay man. I ain't living on nobody's low, okay? I ain't trying to trick my nan sister. And I have had sisters that I've been like, oh my gosh, you look beautiful today. <sighs> and give all this attitude. I'm like, oh, wait, 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 baby girl. I'm on, I'm on the other team. I was just really letting you know that you look good. You know? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. I think sometimes that can yeah. confuse people for whatever reason. But I think that's also people being blind and in their own way. Two questions in one, a journalism no-no. But as we wrap, two questions in one. I apologize. We wrapping already? What it, can you, Time flew. I'm going to take your phone number. We hanging out. I'm going to meet you for dinner. You got vaccinated? Come on. Yes, I have. Come on, come on. Everybody okay. calling me today talking about something. You all right? You got the Johnson & Johnson. No, you okay? I'm like, Lord. Listen, just make sure you exercise so you won't get any blood clots. Um, what, wh- what advice are you giving someone who comes to you and says, I want to do what you do or t- help me, teach me your ways? Um, and then what advice would you give them? That's one question. What advice would you give them? Um, I say, uh, go inside. You all, my, my first thing that I always say is, what have you been told? Um, because what you have been told, whether you are spiritual, whether you are reading some books and being very analytical with your journey, whatever that, whatever you have been told, you got to listen to that because that will let you know how much you will sacrifice, how much you will put into this. If you are being told, I want to do this for fame or for some type of notoriety, you will do just that. You will, quote unquote, sell out. You will. People say like, oh, it's another black man in a wig, blah, 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 blah. But you you could tell, you could tell that ain't why I did this. You could tell that ain't why I did it. So don't even come to me with that bull. You understand? You can tell that when you, there's a word that was put into me to do what I do. When I played this role, I... uh, I actually I stopped following certain things on social media. I did not watch certain things on TV because I did not want to be influenced. I thought about all those things back in, what was it, Kim Cattrall and, and, and uh, Meshach Taylor in Hollywood. Oh, Mannequin, when he played Hollywood in Mannequin. I thought about where the world was then when I was that age and where we are now. I thought about, oh, there are a lot of people who will put a wig on for a joke and a punchline, but I know a lot of other people that do it because that's who they really are. And I wanted to tap into that truth, you know? So do what has been placed on your heart. If you are doing it for the truth, you know you got more sacrificing. If you're doing it for fame, notoriety, or for numbers, you're doing it for that. Or if you're like, oh, I just want to try it out. And as soon as you get a no... Or someone says something that may hurt your feelings and you're like, that hurt too much. I'm out. I can't do it. I don't have enough tough skin. You'll be able to last. Takes away the anguish. Where can people find you? Upcoming projects. What are you working on? 
Uh, right now, I'm just finishing choreographing the third season of All American. Myself and my business partner are Rhapsody James. So, <laughs> come on, shoulders. Hit it with the shoulders. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because um, that's the only dance. And I, I chair dancing with shoulders is all I can give you. I don't have any. I don't know anything else other than that. That's um, only excusable if you have on cute shoes. Okay. If you have. Ah! <laughs> If you wear some flip-flops and you give me some shoulders, we're going to have to have a conversation, Carrie. Okay, okay. <laughs> no spaghetti oh, for you. Uh, no side, baked <laughs> spaghetti, side spaghetti, nothing. You have read me today. Any, first of all, I love All-American. That's a whole nother thing. But what else can people watch? That's great. Anything else? That's enough. But I'm um, saying if there's anything else that you want to promote here. I mean, there's some things that are definitely coming up this summer. You know, we've been on hiatus for P-Valley. So 2020 has been a doozy. But in 2021, you got a family reunion on Netflix. Uh, got some episodes on there for this season that's coming out. And maybe I'll make an appearance on, you know, a little legendary situation on HBO Max, you know. Okay, then talk about it. <laughs> yeah, so some things. You are a pleasure. And, um, and listen, congrats on all your success. But more importantly, congrats on your humility and your down-to-earthness because that is hard to keep in this world. Thank you. Nigo Anand, actor, dancer, choreographer. His message today was special, and I had a couple of takeaways. I always have takeaways, as we do, but I wanted to leave you all with this. The entire time that I was interviewing him, the entire time that I watched him share his story and then listened as well, what I noticed was an overwhelming sense of self, self-assuredness, and I'll explain that in certain details. He said the advice that he would give to someone is know your internal voice, meaning listen to that voice. It tells you why you do what you do. He leads as a man who happens to be gay, who happens to be black. All of those labels that we put on people to understand who they are really don't matter. I mean, to me, labeling someone is a lazy way of making you feel comfortable with whom you're interacting with. And every time I tried to go there and have that conversation, he sort of smirked and, and laughed. And he's like, okay, well, uh, yeah, I am gay, but I don't leave with that. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am a black man. Yes. And I, and I look like a black man, but, but what I am is an artist. What I am is a dancer, a choreographer, I know who I am and why I'm here. And I live through that vessel, that work. And to me, that is so special. When people who are put in situations to perform, to have platforms to be big instead of playing small, as he said, they are here for a reason. And I don't know what that reason is, but with him specifically, it felt as if not only was he here to represent, but he was here to teach and today, that was a lesson. So my big takeaway from him was being self-assured, knowing why you are here, knowing your purpose. And by the way, that could take a lifetime to find out. But he was so elegant in describing it. And it made me feel like I needed to pull my chair up and listen to learn. Last but not least, uh, he said this a few times throughout the podcast, and I asked him, and this was in reference to P-Valley and obviously the woman who wrote the play, Katori Hall, which was called Pussy Valley. And Nico was in the play, but he also, as you know, is Uncle Clifford in the series as well. 
And he says, Katori says something like this. Sometimes rising feels like falling and falling feels like rising. That was my number two takeaway. And I'll say it again. Sometimes rising feels like falling and falling feels like rising. Now, what does that mean? Obviously, in this instance, he's referring to a stripper pole. You know, rising feels like falling, falling feels like rising. But when I asked him to break it down, it made so much sense to me. Sometimes you're waiting and waiting for that moment, that big moment to happen. And that's you going up a roller coaster, not necessarily a stripper pole. <laughs> and as you're rising and rising and rising, it seems like it takes forever. There's anxiety, there's anticipation, there is when will this ever go my way? But you're rising. And then when you fall, you're like, ah, I've arrived. When you fall from that stripper pole, when you fall from the roller coaster, you're enjoying the that moment, that that quick 10 second plunge because it's so exhilarating that feels like rising. And I just thought to myself, there have been so many instances, especially in my life where I felt like I was rising, but falling, falling, but rising. I mean, just take a moment and let that digest. In short, you could be in the middle of something magnificent. That is the journey. That is the growing process. And you never really can appreciate it. But it's happening right now as we speak, as you listen to this podcast. And then, as everything seems awful, not necessarily what you want it to be, you, my friend, are arriving. Ah, that was deep. I'm just going to sit here and think about that a few more times. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Be Honest. Sometimes rising feels like falling and falling feels like rising. I'm going to take that with me. I hope you enjoyed. I'll see you next time. That's it for this week's episode of The Brown Print. Let's keep the conversation going online. You know I love to go online. Follow us on Instagram at The Brown Print Podcast and on Twitter at Brown Print Pod. Follow me, Carrie Champion, on IG and Twitter. You can find me at Carrie Champion. Don't at me if you got an attitude. Well, okay. We'd love to hear your feedback. Or if there's a specific topic you want us to tackle or guests that you want us to have on, please reach out to the brownprintpod at gmail.com. Again, at brownprintpod at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. It helps spread the word. It is so important that we stay active and vocal. We'd greatly appreciate it if you showed us some love by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. If you do not, I know you are a hater. Haha, <laughs> kidding, kind of. Not really. Meanwhile, uh, again, five-star rating and positive review. We need it. It really helps the podcast grow. The Brown Print is a Gallery Media Group original production.